Welcome to Ship Talk, a podcast where I have casual conversations with thought leaders, professionals, and business owners about things like mindset, communication, self-awareness, and personal growth. I'm your host, Trevor Shipman. I'm so grateful for your attention today, and I hope you get some value from the episode. Thanks for listening. Let's get into the show. What's up, everybody? Uh, Welcome back to the show. This is episode five, and I am super excited about my guest today. He is the co-founder and CEO of Empathy Wines. He's the former director of operations for VaynerMedia. And from what I can see on social and from everybody that surrounds him, he's just an awesome, nice guy. Welcome to the show, Trouty. Thank you so much. I, uh, my mom always says I'm a nice guy. I hope everybody else thinks the same. That's what I hear from the people around you. You know, I was trying to find some, uh, like reach out to all of the people that, that surround you at Empty Wines and see if I could find some, like, some things that nobody else really knows. Um, so it was really interesting, uh, like connecting with Heather and uh, some of the other people. All right, little recon in advance. I always appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I want to start out with just a few questions that I start with everybody just to kind of, you know, lighten it up and, and get us primed up to go. So my first question is, what kind of parents did you have growing up? I had, uh, I was really blessed to have very supportive uh, cheerleaders for parents. Um, so my mom and dad met uh, in the restaurant industry, which felt very appropriate, uh, <laughs> given kind of the, the path that I've gone down. Um, <laughs> but both of them were nothing short of, of the most you know, supportive and, um, and, and uh, parents that I could have ever dreamed for. Um, I would say they're a good yin and yang. Um, my dad is a little uh, introspective, um, incredibly smart and um, business-minded, which I think I inherited a little bit of that. Um, My mom is just the kindest, sweetest social being that you'd ever meet. Um, So she loves, kind of thrives off of people. Um, And I like to think that I got a lot of those characteristics from her, um, just being really warm and and kind and empathetic, I'll use. I know that's cliche, but... both of them are, are a great match for one another. And, um, and so I, I can honestly say I wouldn't be where I am today without kind of the influence and, and, um, and support of either one of them. Well, that just makes total sense with and uh, where you've gone in your career, uh, being in wine and um, just from what I hear that and from the people that surround you and what I see on your social um, and just your character in general, that makes total sense. Absolutely. And it's, um, it, it calls into, you know, the whole nature versus nurture type of thing. And I think obviously there's an impact of both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the nurture aspect for me played such a huge aspect on kind of my life and ultimately where I am today. Um, and I have them to thank for it. So for sure. So was the restaurant that they were, uh, or the restaurant industry that they were a part of, was it uh, a higher end and sort of restaurant industry or was it kind of middle-class where, where did that sit? Yeah, it was, uh, so Cape Cod, Massachusetts. So, uh, vacation destination in the, you know, the seventies that they met. And so, 
Um, definitely not fine dining. This was much more of a place that was um, numbers driven and doing volume. And, um, you know, they did the majority of their business three months out of the year uh, yeah. between those summer months. Um, but, uh, but they were both uh, working on the dining room floor. So mm. my dad was a busboy. My mom was a server. Um, and that's because they didn't let busboys be, or they didn't let men be servers back then. So this mm. uh, just, just goes to show how times have changed. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what was the first job that you ever had? So fun fact about me, I've actually never been on a job interview before. Um, I've always been fortunate to find jobs uh, uh, proactively through relationships. Um, I know it's, it's kind of wild that I'm at this stage of my life um, and never actually interviewed. Um, there's also real irony in that I, I used to lead recruitment for VaynerMedia. And so I was the one interviewing everybody, um, but never knew what it was like to be on that other side of the table, really. Um, but uh my first job, long-winded way of getting to it, was um, unsurprisingly a dishwasher for my dad. Mm. Um, so from the age of, uh, you know, before you're legally allowed to work, uh, I was scrubbing pots and pans in, in the kitchen, uh, and then later went on to, to kind of bus tables, bartend, um, and then manage his restaurant. Um, so those were kind of my, my formative years um, working in hospitality, which you know, going back to that nurture thing, I don't think there's a better industry to be in to teach you kind of compassion and um, yeah. ensure that you can have a big ego because it is just pure service um, and deliver what the what the customer and consumer wants. Um, yeah, I totally, totally agree with that. I grew up in all in high school. I, I worked in the grocery industry um, all through high school and in college, I worked in the um, the restaurant industry. And it's so funny, you can tell the difference and servers can tell the difference when you go out to a restaurant of who's been in the service industry and who hasn't. Yep. And my wife picks on me all the time because every single time we ever go out to a restaurant, I stack my dishes, I wipe my plate and I leave it at the end of the table for my server. And like, they appreciate that sometimes more than they do the tip that we leave. Yeah. I, uh, it's funny, you got right to it really quickly, but I have a, I have a huge theory that uh, people that are in any type of like client services industry, whether that's working for an ad agency or management mm. consulting, or even parts of government for that matter, I feel like the people who started in the early days working in the front of the house of a restaurant or as, you know, bagging groceries or any other type of, um, you know, early stage career development that involves just interacting with humans and servicing mm -hmm. them. Um, it's like the best training ground for jobs that, you know, seem much more sexy on paper, but it really they learn it kind of in the trenches there working in a, you know, in a, in a restaurant or whatever it might be. For sure. And that, that uh, you're, you're right. It did. Uh, we did get to that kind of quickly, just the, the empathy that, that, um, that, that formulates, um, for someone to, when they're in management, it blows my mind when people are hired for management or director of sales and they've never done it. Um, so I just, I never understood that. All right. So, but I want to get back to, uh, uh, and, and digress. So what was your first toy that you remember? Ooh, my first toy. Um, you know, I remember, uh, I wish I knew the name of the actual brand. It was like pre-Legos phenomenon when it was building of uh, 
building of houses with um, essentially like log cabins um, with mm -hmm. different size pieces that would all stack together. Was that Lincoln um, Logs? Lincoln Logs, thank you. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you and I are probably the same era when those were really good. <laughs> yep, <laughs> yep, for I sure. I was probably, you know, five, six, seven years old and getting getting handed uh, Lincoln Logs at some Christmas or birthday and yep. um, stuck with me and I was probably into them for at least a few years. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, so last question to start us off. Do you still own your blankie from when you were a kid? I don't. My mom definitely has it tucked away somewhere. Um, yeah, because yeah, I was pretty attached to that thing. Um, but I do not, I don't own don't own it myself, at least yet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I think it's, it's always so funny because my wife makes fun of me for my age. She's a little bit older than I am. Um, but I can, I can see the difference. Um, like in my questions, those starting questions and stuff, I can see my age sometimes. And it's, it's always really funny. She always laughs at me when I, when I ask people these questions. <laughs> I'm just loving funny. you Lincoln Logs because I never would have gotten there, but <laughs> we're definitely of the same era. Yes. Okay. So in this episode, I really want to talk about how empathy and culture go hand in hand with business. And so to start off with that, I, I really want to get an idea of what empathy really means to you. Yeah. So for me, uh, kind of like my own textbook definition would be um, just having the understanding and compassion of what um, another person or set of people um, are going through um, and being able to, uh, based on that understanding, be able, being able to act on it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's actually an operative part of it. Um, it's one thing to um, purely be able to think about what somebody else is doing. It's another to have an innate um, desire or drive to be able to, to take an action based on that and to express kind of whatever that, that compassion is that you're feeling. Um, so that's kind of me at a personal level, the way I would, I would define the word empathy. Yeah. And I think we kind of touched on that a little bit, you know, talking about how being able to associate with that person that's, you know, on the floor, that person that's in sales to empathize with that person, you have to have done it at some level. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the experiences, uh, experiences that shape you and, and ultimately create that empathy uh, are, is everything. Yes, absolutely. So I know um, with with Gary, empathy is huge. So besides besides Gary's focus on empathy, how and why did you guys come to the conclusion of the name for the label being empathy? What drove that? Yeah. So, um, you know, the way we started the business, um, was by trying to reimagine what a uh, modern day winery or wine company should look like in order to provide the most value to two core groups of people. Um, so the first being the farmers or the grape growers, um, who are so often totally left out of the picture in wine, um, where people don't really think about it for what it is, which is truly an agricultural good, right? So there are people who put their blood, sweat, and tears into, um, into every growing season 
um, in order to yield the best grapes possible. Um, and so for us, we said uh, kind of the, the company we want to build puts them at the kind of focal point um, and helps tell their story um, and shines a spotlight on the, on the people behind the, the authentic product that people are, are enjoying. Um, and then the other set of people that um, we wanted to provide the most value to um, were consumers. Um, and so when you think about a category like wine, um, for 99% of people, it's this very mysterious thing that they consume. Mm -hmm. um, they don't really have a, a deep understanding of how it's made, um, the differences that make a wine distinct and unique and different and ultimately what make it taste good, um, or how they make sure that they're getting a, a great value, right? They're overwhelmed by just a sheer number of choices when they walk into a, a wine shop. There are quite literally more than 15,000 wines in the U.S. wine market alone. Wow. Um, and so they're just like crippled by choice for the most part. Um, and so for us, we said, how do we, you know, provide them value um, and provide them an ultra-reliable, delicious bottle of wine that's distinct tastes really good, but more importantly too, is a great, great value so that their dollar is, uh, bang for their buck is stretched as far as it can be. Um, and so when we thought about those two things, we ultimately landed on our kind of direct to consumer winery and, and the model that we have. Um, but we started thinking about like, what's an appropriate name for that? And it, empathy just felt right because at the end of the day, while I said we provide them value, really what we're doing is empathizing with those two sets of people. Mm -hmm. um, and to your point, it is just such an important value and word in, in Gary's world and kind of his lexicon that um, after we thought about all those things, we're like, this is a no brainer. This is, <laughs> is going to be our company. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's fantastic. I, I, I love it. Um, so how does that play out in the everyday operations of like empathy wines altogether? Yeah. So, um, on the, on the farmer side and the grower side that I described, um, you know, if you visit some of our social profiles, whether that's Instagram or Twitter or website or wherever, wherever it is that you consume content that we put out, um, you'll see that there are big Part of the, the storyline and the narrative um, so we'll provide you know features and interviews and kind of storytell um, like what we think it is that makes them special um, and then on the consumer side our our business model is really what what down to um, so you know 99 of the wines in the world their predominant way that they're sold is um, through in the u.s what's called a three-tier system um, and so i don't want to bore your listeners too much what that really means at the end of the day is wine starts at the winery. They then sell it to distributors in one of the 50 states. Those distributors then sell it to wine shops and restaurants. And then ultimately, those are the, the people that sell it to you before it ends up in, in kind of your glass. Right. Um, when I just described that kind of uh, structure, when you think about it, what that means is that wine touches a lot of different hands before you actually taste it. Um, and what that means is there's a lot of markups every step of the way. Um, so what we've done is we've eliminated two of those layers. So we don't work with distributors. We don't work with retailers. The only way to buy our wine is direct from us. Um, and so what we're able to do is pass along the cost savings um, to you, the buyer. Uh, and so what would otherwise be like a $40 bottle of wine, um, we ship to your door for, for $20 a bottle. So what it sounds like to me is, and I've thought this the whole time,
um, it sounds like the traditional way of distributing wine is very similar to the automotive industry. And what you guys are doing is more indicative of what Elon Musk is doing with Tesla. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, it's, it's a super great parallel in that uh, one, he thought about a whole new way to make the wine itself and to, to feature, you know, things in different ways. Uh, and then two, he doesn't work with, you know, I know an automotive, what is like, uh, I think it's called like a OEM model um, where you're, you mm -hmm. know, selling the different layers before it ultimately gets, gets purchased off the lot. Um, yeah. You buy it right from them. Yep. 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 So how does um, empathy reach into the lives of the employees there at Empathy Wines? How does, sorry, I just want to make sure I understand the question. How, how does it play out with our employees and kind of the team we've built? Yes. Um, empathy is the number one characteristic that we look for when we hire. Um, and that sounds like such a cliche, but it really is everything where there are like so many talented people in this world that, you know, come from awesome companies that have great experience. Um, but that at the end of the day, those people don't necessarily uh, embody that core value of empathy. They'll uh, either have a huge ego or think that they're right and not want to listen to other people. And that maybe that's a condition of them being so skilled. And it's because they've been kind of put up on a pedestal in, in other walks of life. I don't know what the reason is. Um, but for us, like skills are a little bit commoditized. There are a lot of really skilled people. Um, what is not commoditized and what's hard to come by is just genuine goodness and kindness and compassion and caring and empathy. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's probably the hardest thing to hire for um, because those things only play out over time. And once you really get to know somebody, um, but it's the thing that we spend so much time hiring. Um, it's probably the thing we do the slowest um, in our organization because we want to try to get it right. It's not to say that you get it perfect every time as a, as a hiring manager, but mm -hmm. um, it's something that we want to make sure is, is embodied in all the people we hire, um, especially for a company in its earliest days and when a team is small, uh, because the wrong person can, can definitely reverberate through, uh, through an organization. Absolutely. Oh, that's totally, totally true. I absolutely agree with that. So do you guys spend a lot of time um, researching a person outside of their application or resume like via their their social profiles and observe kind of their everyday life before when you're doing that research to see if that's an empathetic person or is it more of a you kind of decide in the moment you know and Gary talks about this a lot like he he can read the person um and so is that is that more of this the strategy behind hiring I was going to say, I wish I could be, uh, I wish I could tell you that it was super prescriptive and that there were, you know, a certain set of questions or like, to your point, like research or things that you do on a person or, you know, give them some type of uh, one of those exams that kind of analyzes their personality profile. Mm. Um, it's not that at all. It's totally based on gut feel. Mm. Um, and you know what, you know, going back to my time with VaynerMedia and just the sheer volume of people and the pace at which we were hiring people. You don't always get it right. 
Um, no matter if somebody says they do, then they're lying. Like, yeah, it's, it's a hard thing to, to find the right person and the right fit for an organization. Um, I think the best way is to use your gut. Um, try to use, try to put people in a setting that's not, doesn't feel like an interview. Um, cause I think that's the best way to get to know somebody, whether that's over coffee or breakfast or a glass of wine or whatever it might be to get them, um, to really get to know them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's way more gut than anything else, at least for me. Yeah, absolutely. So you already answered one of my questions, um, but I just want to throw it out there anyways. Um, that, you know, how important EQ is when it comes to that hiring and partnering and partnering process for you guys. And it seems that that's the number one, two, three, four, five for you guys. Everything. Yeah. Um, and it's not to say that we don't want to bring in people with, you know, hard skills that come from certain experiences or, have, you know, done things in uh, previous roles that we want to tap into and learn from. Like that's super important too. Um, but at the end of the day, the EQ is like the, the thing that's probably harder to hire for. Um, and is, you know, people can be taught, people can learn a lot, especially at, you know, more junior levels. Um, mm. The hard thing to hire for is just good people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So what, if any benefits do you guys see at empathy um, in a, in a direct to consumer brand versus a brick and mortar when it comes to um, being able to cultivate a customer experience? Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and I'll think about it in the context of wine, but you know, that, that sales uh, model that I described that most wineries go through um, really the person that they're thinking most about in the equation tends to be the distributor and the retailer. Um, and so everything from the profit margins that they're thinking about down to the actual package itself, it's always with like the retailer or the store shelf in mind, rather than necessarily like owning that consumer experience end to end of when that wine is being opened. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for us, it was rethinking that entirely, um, everything from the label on the bottle. So um, if you take a look at our labels, they're super minimalist. They're super mm -hmm. simplistic. They're clean. They're, uh, you know, they're not super loud and noisy and in your face. Um, and the reason we did that was because almost every other wine brand has to think about how do I stand out on a store shelf with hundreds of other options in front of a customer. Um, and so what you end up seeing are lots of cute animals, lots of bright colors, um, lots of like noisy in your face things um, or like beautiful scripture that's like mm -hmm. very out there. Um, for us, we said we don't have to think about that because the only person that's going to see this is the person that's visiting, um, visiting us through whether it's a website or buying through an Instagram ad or whatever it might be. Um, so we went in an opposite direction um, with the box itself and the packaging and the unboxing experience. Um, it feels very premium um, because that's really our first touch point with the customer um, mm. where, you know, other wineries might have the advantage of a, you know, a tasting room or it might be consumed in a, you know, a very high end restaurant. And so those are all factors that play into their, you know, impact and perception of a bottle of wine. Um, for us, it's when that box hits your doorstep. And so how do we make that feel very special and intimate and personal? Um, and so those are all things that when we were designing the box, 
uh, came into the equation. Um, I could go on and on and think about all the other aspects too, right down to like the style of wine we made and how it's very like consumer centric. Mm. Uh, but those are like the two examples that stand out to me most was like kind of rethinking it with the label, the box and the packaging itself. Yeah, I totally agree with that. You know, when I, when I got my cases in uh, a few weeks ago, the, the unboxing experience was, it was in, intimate for me because I didn't just feel like I was opening a product. I felt like I was establishing a relationship. And so when, as I was opening the box, there were, there were stages to that, you know, and each leaf, as I opened each package, you know, there was something different. There was something personal on each different wine. There was something different. And what I really like is the, the corks on each cork is a, a different quote from Gary. Um, so the, the intention uh, in each aspect of the packaging, um, the product itself, everything is phenomenal. You guys are doing a fantastic job. Awesome. I appreciate it. The, um, just a, a shout out and thinking about the audience that's listening to this. I know lots of business operators and maybe even people that are thinking about, you know, either have or think about launching e-commerce businesses. Um, a company called Lumi that was a great partner in like the design of our packaging. Mm. Um, and they work with a lot of the best, you know, direct to consumer brands with that same philosophy of like creating an awesome and premium unboxing experience. Um, but they're a great resource for anybody who's, uh, you know, think about reimagining their packaging or has a new e-com business that they're launching. Um, so check out Lumi. Lumi. Thanks so much. Um, all right. So I know you got to go, but I've got one more question and then we'll wrap up. So what are some ways that, you know, the listeners can start to practice empathy on a daily basis? Ooh, that is a great question. I think, you know, when I keep going back to it, like, there's a certain nature and nurture component where um, I think probably a lot of people are you know, naturally born and more predisposed to be empathetic from birth. And I think there's probably a big part of upbringing that, you know, their life experiences that are going to shape their empathy. Um, when I think about just going forward, how do people continue to practice empathy? It's just uh, being more mindful of the people around them and who they're interacting with and you know, what it is that they might be going through and, um, you know, based on what those experiences are, or maybe even not knowing what they're going through, but um, just keep in mind, you don't know what they've gone through. Um, and so with that, um, just being kind and, and expressing um, you know, gratitude and thanks um, to everybody that, that you come across, um, I think is an incredible way to, to express that empathy and to, to practice it is the word you used. And it's really the best one. Um, That's awesome. All right. Well, John, it's been so awesome talking to you and, and having you on the show. I'm super pumped to uh, drop these episodes at the end of the month and, and get it all out there. But if, uh, if my listeners and anybody else wants to get in touch with you, follow you and, and follow uh, with Empathy Wines, where would they reach out? Where would they find you guys? I am, uh, so if you want to hit me up personally, I'm Trouty on just about every social platform, T-R-O-U-T-Y. Um, if, uh, if you're thinking about checking out the wines themselves, which I would be super grateful for, um, go to empathywines.com. 
Um, you'll get to read, read lots more about each of the individual wines we make and, and a little bit about those farmers that we talk so much about. Um, mm -hmm. So appreciate you giving me the platform to tell my story and, and a little bit about what we think makes Empathy Wine so special. Well, it's been fantastic uh, having you on, man. And thank you so much for taking a little uh, part of your day out to, to have a conversation with me. And hopefully, you know, we'll get to keep in touch and maybe we'll do another episode again. Yeah. And, uh, and who knows if I get down to Georgia or you find yourself in New York, we'll have to share a glass. Absolutely, man. It's one of my favorite cities in the entire world. And, um, we try to come up at least once a year, but sometimes not so much. Um, so I'll hit you up if we're ever in town. Sounds good. All right, man. Thank you so much. Wow. Thank you so much for getting all the way through the show. I'm unbelievably grateful for your attention. You have no idea. I'd love to know what you thought of the show today. So please, please, please leave a review, drop a comment, or just shoot me a DM. If you want to connect, you can find me on just about every social media platform at Uncle Pudge. That's at Uncle P-U-D-G-E. Thank you so much. I can't wait to hear from you. Also, I would love for you to subscribe to the podcast because I will continue to have more conversations that are just as amazing as this one. See you guys next time.